0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Times of Israel's daily briefing. Today is Monday, January 16th. Amanda Borchel-Dan here with our editor David Horowitz and senior analyst Khaviv Rechtek Gur. Hello to you both. Hi, Amanda. Hey, Amanda. So good to have you here. And I'm really excited about today's discussion because it should be quite interesting in that we'll talk about the annual Israel Democracy Index, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's reactions to the massive demonstrations over the weekend, and Khaviv's ideas for a different way of overhauling governance. But
1: first, a short break.
0: and we're back. Khabib, the annual Israel Democracy Index showed that Israelis are actually quite united about one thing, and that is, of course, the mistrust of the country's governing and adjourning institutions. In regards to the Supreme Court, the report found that the levels of trust have continued to drop among every group except left-wing Jews, no surprise. Now, the survey was conducted in over the summer, and some of the polling was in October. So I really wonder, do you think that the findings would be different if the polling were to happen today? I, I
2: do think that people rally to the banner when there's a real threat. Uh, you know, you, you you find out how much support people have for something when you threaten to take it away. And so it is possible that it would rise. We know, for example, that the survey found that 57% of Israelis back the court uh, having judicial overview of um, of, of legislation, fifty seven percent of Israelis, which is um, between fifty one and fifty three percent of of Jews, and much much higher numbers among the Arabs, uh, uh, above eighty percent. Um, and uh, at the same time, when you ask, that's when you ask about the judicial ability to override Knesset or government decisions. But then when you ask about trust. Uh, among Israeli Jews, that drops to 41%. And so there is a, a gap between a, sort of the, the deeper question of, of basic trust in the institution. It's still one of the most trusted institutions. One of the really sad findings of this survey is the continued decline in trust across the board among all Israelis in all institutions. But um, but nevertheless, there is this big gap um, between 57% want the court to be able to rein in the government and the Knesset, whereas just 41% express explicit trust in the court itself. And so I, I think the long-term trend is quite likely to continue, the negative trend, even if you would see a rallying to the banner because of the specific threat right now uh, to those powers that many Israelis want the court to retain.
0: Okay, so of course, one of the physical manifestations of that lack of trust is this massive rally that we covered yesterday in the podcast in which some 80,000 Israelis protested in Tel Aviv, several thousand uh, elsewhere throughout the country against the bills that would overhaul the judicial systems. So David, I wonder, has there been any kind of response from Netanyahu to the country's response?
3: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think that rightly uh, looks at the survey in the context of, it's an annual survey. A lot of it was carried out last summer, a little bit more of it uh, in October. Um, I suspect that if Israelis were asked about whether they want the High Court to have the powers that it has today, uh, the results would be different because it's become a sort of cardinal, controversial, central issue. And if I had to guess, I would guess that the support for the court would fall. I might be wrong about this, of course, and it's speculative, because the Likud is now getting ready and the coalition is now getting ready to take away much of that power. And uh, both anecdotally and I suppose some of the surveys that we've seen that are much more or much less scientific, the SNAP surveys, um, suggests that uh, the coalition and its supporters, which is about half the country, are having quite an effective campaign uh, to argue that the court uh, oversteps its mark. The rally is, uh, you know, was a gathering of people who feel the opposite, who feel that uh, the court is a vital protection for individual rights. In fact, the only uh, protection of individual rights against uh, a governing majority if the program of uh, legal, quote-unquote, reforms goes through as Netanyahu and his justice minister and the rest of the coalition... Uh, want it to. 80,000 people might not sound like very many people in a country of, you know, getting on for 10 million. I suspect numbers may may grow. Certainly, I think there are going to be more rallies. And it was absolutely pelting down with rain in Tel Aviv. And, uh, and that was a fair amount of people. Uh, it certainly reflects a, a huge divide in Israel over this issue. And the very profound sense among some Israelis that this is catastrophic for Israel. And, um, you know, I'm not sure we've had uh, much larger rallies in the past. I would say in the not so recent past, including 400,000 people, it is estimated, who came out in 2011 for rallies about the cost of living. Uh, But still, I think there's a pretty heartfelt uh, sense of of despair among opponents of this uh, uh, reform program and a very, very hardcore of support for it on the other side, and we've had the president, Isaac Herzog, saying yesterday that he's trying to avoid a constitutional crisis. Uh, It's really a a crisis for Israel, the argument about how much power the judiciary should have as opposed to the politicians. Um, In terms of Netanyahu's response, he was really dismissive about the rally. He waved it off, and we can best sum that up by him saying, to quote him, uh, we had the mother of all demonstrations in November, and that was the elections when millions of people voted for me. Uh, and they knew he asserted what the government was broadly speaking, what the incoming government was broadly speaking going to do about the judiciary. I don't think that that's entirely true. I don't think people recognised the radical nature of the reform. It's basically, the court, it, it, to all intents and purposes, I would say, uh, can no longer strike down laws if this uh, form goes through. And the majority will be cho- choosing who the justices are in the first place. The court will also be denied the legal measure uh, of reasonability by which to decide whether something is uh, legal, uh, appropriate, uh, proportionate, and so on. In my opinion, it, the legislature neuters the court and is incredibly dangerous. And of course, there are other people who see it very differently, who see the court as having overstepped its responsibilities.
0: Okay, we're going to short break and then we'll come back
3: I got married
0: this Monday in the middle of a war.
3: You are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like my friend has a 4x4. Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel Stories, wartime diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now and he told
2: me take with you a sleeping bag and a tent <laughs> and just go I texted
0: him on like after I was told that he was killed from their eyes I was a traitor everybody needs their like blankie their teddy bear something to make them feel safe I'm just
2: another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off
3: at war these children of Hamas now Will be the killer of my
0: children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido.
3: Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check out Israel's story wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And we're back. Khaviv, before we get into your recent lengthy piece on the current crisis, you wanted to add something to what David had to say. Yeah, I just
2: want to say, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people in the Knesset uh, and, in, and in the government over the years who uh, share Levine's criticism of the court, and who share concern about the court's overreach and and, and immense powers. And uh, people on the left, people like Amnon Rubinstein, the author of The Basic Law, Human Dignity and Liberty, and Michael Melchior of, of a left-wing Orthodox party called Maymad, uh 20 years ago, who, you know, 15 years ago in an interview talked to me about some of the needs to rein in some of the. Powers um, that um, that that Levine wants to rein in. But what's happening here is, is, is not just the reigning into the court. And because we have a very bad debate, because Netanyahu and Levine themselves are not explaining themselves to the public, we're actually moving forward with things that are much, much more than what I think you would have a majority in the Knesset for some kind of significant reform. Um, for example, the very idea that you would remove reasonableness as a legal pretext for a court intervention is not normal. And it is not reasonable. In Israel today, we have very, very few laws that give us rights. Um, we have rights, but we don't have them explicitly laid out in any constitutional form. And so, for example, we don't have a right to free a freedom of assembly and protest in law. It, it, what we have is you have to get a permission, a permit from police in order to protest, in order to hold any public protest. And police can deny you that permit based on a pretext called public order. Now, That makes sense. Police should have the ability to maintain public order and deny protests that will upend public order. But the only appeal you have to the police is to go to the court and say this is an unreasonable use, right? Every single protest in the history of democracy has has upset public order, unless it was held in the middle of the ocean or in the middle of the desert. And so Right now, the removal of reasonableness means that when a, when the cop says to me, I, "You cannot protest because public order," I have no one to turn to. I just literally have to ask the cop again, more politely. The, this is now that that the the reasonableness test is ancient. It is ancient and it is Anglo-Saxon. Uh, the reasonable search and seizure is written into the American Constitution. This has existed for centuries in British law. It's one thing to limit it. For example, they're very angry that uh, the court wouldn't let them appoint people convicted in the past to the cabinet. This is something that came up with Derry 25 years ago with Arya Derry and is coming up again with Arya Derry. And so they're canceling reasonableness because they believe the court overstepped its bounds. But then what you do is you pass a law, a basic law with a lot of MK's votes that says that you can still appoint. There's it, it, The court used reasonableness because it is legal to appoint convicts to the cabinet. Um, and so the court said, no, you can't do it, even though there's nowhere in law where it says it because it's unreasonable. So you pass a law that says these appointments are reasonable. You don't cancel reasonableness altogether and literally rob Israelis of fundamental rights just because you're on a stampede. And so the, the and, and the real problem is that that debate isn't happening. Levine is not defending. And he's not standing up in front of Israelis and saying that, and and because he wants it all to divide up into, to support, to divide up entirely tribally. And that's what's happening, is dividing up tribally, and we're not having a debate. And I blame the people pushing this forward for refusing to have a serious public debate and real fundamental basic rights that right-wingers are going to miss just as much as left-wingers five years down the road uh, are are being abridged. When the ultra-Orthodox find out that their protests can be just shut down at whim because they have no one to appeal to to hold them, this is going to come back to bite them.
0: Okay, Khaviv, thanks for that. And actually dovetails into something you wrote in your recent piece that we don't actually have time to get into. But I just want to quote from it. You said, it seems too optimistic to hope that the current agitation may spark the larger debate the country needs. Then again, Israel has a long history of repairing itself only after a collapse. Listeners, please check out Khabib's piece. Now, David, to end with, tell us about the new 25-part short animated series that we're hosting on the website that's called Whispered in Gaza. Now, I assume the animation is a way to protect the identities of the people who who were speaking in this, allowed them to speak freely?
3: Yeah, these are interviews that were carried out by a New York-based um, organization um, that reached out to Gazans who were willing, or in, in many cases wanted, uh, to tell their stories about what life is like in the Gaza Strip. They are indeed animated precisely among the measures that were taken to protect the identities of the people, um, although we should stress the people know that this material is going out, it's going out in this form. Um, it's going out in with subtitles in many languages. It's out on the Times of Israel in English. It's out on the Times of Israel in French. And there are other sites around the world that are carrying it in other languages, including in, in Arabic. And um, it, it was initiated uh, because um, of an awareness that people don't know what's going on in Gaza. It's a very, very repressive regime. Uh, it's terrifying for people in Gaza to tell their truths. And what's very heart-wrenching and moving about these stories is that these are ordinary people with entirely relatable stories uh, describing what ought to be ordinary realities, uh, ambitions, and dreams that in the cases that they describe very often, they simply cannot realize things that should be perfectly normal. There's, there's a short interview with somebody who wants to open a pharmacy, somebody who studied journalism in Gaza but is unable to work in, in journalism, uh, somebody who simply wants, simply wants to dance, uh, a particular style of dance uh, has, has, is not being allowed to do so in Gaza. So the normality of the of the ambitions and the dreams running into the repression of Hamas is incredibly powerful and um, we are very pleased to, to be partnering with the people who produce these videos uh, in order that they reach the audience that the people who sat down for those interviews want them to reach.
0: David, thank you so much. Khaviv, thank you as well. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's daily briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time. Shalom.
1: Shalom.